only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Hi, this is Connor Lowe. I'm the technical director at Bad Dog, uh, and this is our last episode of Out of the Dark Storytelling for this season. But don't worry, uh, next season we've got The Fandom Show, hosted by Stephanie Malik and Kaya Green. It's a great show where Steph and Kaya interview people uh, about their fandoms, what they really enjoy. And, you know, what's more enjoyable than listening to someone talk about something they really enjoy? Like, for example... I really enjoy the process of editing podcasts. My favorite part is when I load all the audio. Hello and welcome to Out of the Dark Storytelling. This is both a podcast and a live YouTube show. So, podcast listeners, please welcome to your ears, your host, Jill Welsh. Oh, hey, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Out of the Dark Storytelling. Uh, yeah, it's me, Jill Welsh. Uh, we have uh, an incredibly uh, amazing, spooky show for you tonight. We are talking about real-life ghost stories. Like, I mean, real, real-life ghost stories. Uh, we have an amazing lineup for you, too. We've got queer storytelling legend that is Rico Rodriguez, the hilarious and oh-so-lovable joy that is Nick Babatsikos, the multi-talented powerhouse and dark genius that is Joe Amaro, and a musical guest once again, I'm Nick McKinley, because, I mean, why mess around with a good thing? Love that guy's music. Uh, and running all of our technical elements, the ghost behind the scenes, if you will, uh, Connor Lowe. Connor, get on out here. Hi. Hey. How oh, are you? I'm good. <laughs> you know what? I've been, been nervous. <laughs> Ever since you told me it's uh, ghost stories, because, yeah. you know, I don't like to be scared. I think we've talked <laughs> about this. I, I just don't like to be scared. Some people uh, do. I'm not that people. Oh, no. <laughs> well, uh, uh, oh. <laughs> um, no, yeah. no. You know what? I'm I'm duty bound, though. You know, I will, okay. I will tech this show to the best of my abilities. I'll play okay. the buttons. I might, you know, have my hands yeah. behind my eyes. Uh, as you got it. Do you have a crystal? Are you wearing a, a crystal, maybe? You know? No. Um, okay. My, uh, my, uh, 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 my glasses are see-through. Okay. Hey, that works. I think that works, you know? Crystalline in, in some <laughs> manner. Crystalline. Well, you're afraid of ghosts? Like, have you... Um, Sorry, I was going to hold a candle at the beginning to be really spooky, and then I burnt my hands again. <laughs> we, we talked about this just we before we went live. I learned. I learned, yeah. and then I didn't learn, you know? Um, yeah, you're, you're, uh, do you have, like, a, a ghost experience? Is that where this, like, please don't scare me? comes from? No, I'm just a nervous guy. I do have, I, wait, I do have a ghost experience. Experience, sort of. Okay. Of um, a few years ago, uh, some close friends went to a uh, like a, a B and B. One of my friend's dads owns in um, Niagara on the Lake, and it was like mm. this 1812 kind of historical thing where it's just like mm. uh, you know a soldier died here, kind of. Yeah, thing. that's like and, Laura Secord's hanging out around there. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And yeah. we <laughs> got so high. We got extremely high. And it was the classic thing of like, guys, I think I'm just kind of tired. I'm going to go to bed. And then I like put my hands on the Ouija board and I was just like, I'm the most scared I've ever been. I'm going to die here tonight. <laughs> and um, uh, my friend Jess was beside me and I was like squeezing her hand so tight. Um, and like, I, you know, I, I've never been good at getting high and, mm. um, you know, I, 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 it was like a, for me, it felt like six hours of just uh, being terrified, contacting oh. these ghosts. Uh, but I later learned that not everyone feels the way that I do when I get high, because uh, what I, what I feel when I get high is an allergic reaction. 
Oh no! Like, oh, it must be my anxiety that's making everything tougher yeah. to breathe. No, it's um, no. it's allergy. It's a it's wow. an allergy to weed. Oh, that sucks. I'm glad you like found that out though. I mean, I certainly yeah. learned that like THC. I'm more of a CBD guy than a THC guy. The old anxiety can uh, really go. Yeah. Ah. I I feel like I've heard. A few good ghost stories from you. I'm, uh, what, what, do you? <laughs> yeah, well, I was like trying to think. I first of all, I love, I love ghosts, and I, I do feel like spirits around is like watching over us or, or you know, something. Um, yeah, but I feel like the first one, I oh my gosh, it's a bit embarrassing though. I was like, <laughs> a, you know, when you're in high school and you have to make like that video for like your group project. You know, and I knew that I wanted to be a really serious actor. And I lived out on this like farm in the middle of nowhere. And there was this abandoned house there that had this like whole like, I don't know, weird, creepy story around it. Um, but as we basically decided that we would kind of like invent our own story to go with it and do our <laughs> real dramatic sort of movie. Are you letting the dog out? <laughs> Connor. Connor just left the screen for those of you who are listening in. Also, nice legs, Connor. Solid, solid legs. Wearing a good pair of shorts. <gasps> and now Connor is bringing over Palmer the dog. I need, I need someone to comfort me while dog. I listen to the story. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, anyway, so we were like gonna uh, make this. And we like wrote the script and we amplified this story. And it was about this woman who could never have kids and she was living on her own. And then. Her uh, sister died, so she ended up, her nephew came to live with them, and it was by the railroad tracks, and he <laughs> went out picking raspberries and ended up getting mowed over by the train. Anyway, so she, he went missing, and then she jumped in front of the train, and it said that her ghost can be found, like, wandering up and down the train tracks, right? So, like, I'm dressed up in all this garb, and I'm taking it very seriously because I am going to be a very serious actor when I grow up. And we film all these things and the lighting's super cool. And I cry real tears. And we're like watching it all back, the footage all back in my friend's station wagon. And the real story about this house is that um, someone had hung themselves, which is anyway. Uh, so we're watching it all back. And the way that the light is shining in, I kid you not, none of us are inside this house. And there is a full shadow of someone hanging from a noose. Just like the way that we went back the next day, we freaked out, we went back the next day. There's no cracks in the walls. There's no way we tried to like remake the shadows any way we possibly could. There is no way that that could be anything other than uh, just a ghost shadow popping up. There was there was no explanation for it. Um, and we thought that this like movie would uh, freak out all of our friends, but it turns out that I'm not a serious dramatic actress. I'm funny and they found it funny. So. <laughs> I mean, you, you are a serious actor, but you're also incredibly funny. <laughs> funny by accident <laughs> just trying just very serious trying real hard um yeah but these stories tonight are that and i fake i fake haunted a restaurant one time that i was working at i pretended to be the ghost because it was fun so i like flip pictures around and and uh set like this little like clock radio to turn on full static at like 6 a.m <laughs> was chefs. it like dinner theater no, it was. Be oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that loud. I feel like the legend lives on. I think people still think it's haunted, and it really was oh. just me the whole time. I'll I'll bleep it in the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, we should probably get this show started, huh? Yeah. Here we go. Okay, hold on to your butts because it's about. I almost grabbed this candle again. Stop it. No to the creepy candle magic. Uh, hold on to your butts, because it's about to get spooky. Uh, our first storyteller tonight is Rico Rodriguez. 
Rico is an incredible storyteller and teacher, teller of all kinds of stories. Uh, Rico also runs a show called Queers in Your Ears, which is three old queers tell personal stories of growing up queer in a straight world. Please welcome to your screens, Rico Rodriguez. I'm eight years old and I'm just about to leave the house to go to Fisher's Beach to swim. I live in Lima, Peru. It's winter time, it's June. And winter's not like here, there, but it still gets a little bit nippy and cold. My mom doesn't want me to go out to swim. She thinks I'm gonna get a cold and at worst, I'm gonna cramp and maybe, maybe drown. So she's been warning me, she's been telling me not to go, but I don't pay attention to her and I, I go. I go every day with my friends winter, summer, spring, autumn, we swim all year round in that water. Now I'm run downstairs. I don't want my mom to know that I'm going to leave the house, but she, she catches me and just, just before I get on my bike and she says, you better be home before the lights come on and you better not be wet when you come home because I'll find out that you've been swimming. Yeah. Yeah. Mamita. I say, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so I, I get out of the, the house through the garage door and my grandmother's there and she grabs my arm and she, she scares me. She looks at me and she says, do you know what happened to the Ventura boy? Do you know what happened to the Bravo boy? And, and there's stories about them having drowned in the beach and, but they were before my time and it's unclear how, what happened. And she says, I'll tell you what happened. And she tells me the story of La Llorona, the wailing woman. And she tells me, oh, at that house, that greenhouse on the way down to Fisher's Beach, that's where Luisa used to live. And Luisa was an indigenous woman. And she had an affair with Don Carlos, who was a white guy. And it was a love affair that wasn't to be, but they had three children. And they love each other very much. But this love was going to go nowhere because Don Carlos's family had a prearranged a marriage for him. And one day he came and told her that he was going to get married to another woman. And she started to cry and she well, and she says, how can it be? We love each other. We have children. And he says, I can't, I can't. And so he left. And on his wedding day, she wore the white dress that she had made for herself for when she was going to get married, she dressed up the children. And she went to the church and there she sat at the back pew and waited. And when the priest said, anybody objects to this wedding, she rose and very proudly, she said, I do, I do. He's my love. And these are his three children. And the three little children looked like their father. So they knew she wasn't lying. And she ran out of the church with the children. And Don Carlos, in disgust, ran after her. And everybody looked at him as if he had committed a sin. She went to her greenhouse and she hid. And he came in and started knocking and punching on the door. And he said, give me the children, give me the children. And she didn't open the door. And so he left and he says, I'll be back tomorrow morning. And Luisa, in an act of desperation, still wearing her white dress, she went down to Fisher's Beach and she grabbed the children and one by one she threw them past the breaking waves and she, then she realized the children didn't know how to swim and they drowned so she threw herself past the breaking waves looking for them and it was too late and she kept screaming mis hijos mis hijos my children where are my children but it was way way too late they had drowned and so she drowned herself the next morning don carlos went to her house and some people told him that she had gone down to the beach and down there in the beach the only thing he found was the white dress that she had been wearing and he heard in the beach mis hijos mis hijos donde están mis hijos my children my children where are my children and my grandmother tells me she's looking for her children and you are a child and she can't come and get you so don't get into that water Oh, yeah, abuelita, I said, that, oh, yeah, of course, yeah, sure. 
So I go down to Fisher's Beach and I tell, I see my friends and I tell them about what my grandmother had told me. And the older boys, they said, you believe that story? You really believe it? And they dare me to go by myself all the way to the point. And so I go and I swim there and I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the wave. And a beautiful wave comes, beautiful wave with, wave with white foam, but a strange noise behind it. I don't pay attention to the noise. It's the most beautiful wave I've seen. The foam is impeccable. I'm going to body surf that wave all the way to the shore. And I'm going to show them what I can do. And the wave comes and, and it envelops me. And I say, as I'm waving, I can hear this noise. But it's not a noise anymore. It's not a noise. And, and, and the foam is not foam. It's a white dress. And the noise it says, Mis hijos, mis hijos. Donde están mis hijos? My children, my children. Where are my children? And I feel that she grabs my leg. And it's La Llorona. And she's got a hold of me. And I, I start struggling against her. And I punch her. And I swim as fast as I can. And I can't get away. And then I started swimming. And I started screaming. And she screams. Mis hijos, mis hijos. Aquí están mis hijos. My children, my children. Here is my child. And I managed to get away a little bit. And I, 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 I get to a point where I can actually get, stand up. And I start running. And I told my friends that, that are waiting on the shore for me. And I said, she's here. She's here. Listen to her. And they listen to her wailing. And they get on their bikes. And they start going up the hill, up the, up the edge of the hill, all the way up to the top. And, and they, we're tripping against each other. And I, I, I catch up with them. And we go by the greenhouse. And we get scared. And we get the hell out of it as fast as we can. I get in front of my house. And I'm shaking, not because I'm wet and it's cold, but because I'm in complete fear. And I'm waiting to get in. And I don't want my mom to see me. And I manage to get in to the house. And as I go in, there's my grandmother. And she looks at me straight in the eyes. And she reads it in my face. You've seen her. You heard her. She touched you. And I cannot lie to my grandmother. And I go up straight to my bedroom and I hide in my bed. And I, I ground myself for a couple of weeks. I don't go to Fisher Beach. I'm not going to go to Fisher Beach, I said. I am not going to go to Fisher's Beach, I say to myself. I'm never going to go there. But two weeks later, I'm back there. I couldn't resist. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, give it up in the chat for Rico Rodriguez, everyone. And if you want some more of Rico's stories, uh, you can catch the next Queer in Your Ears on June 23rd. Uh, and also the social media handles should show up there in your chat. Oh, my goodness. The, oof, the folklore that we tell children to scare them into being good. <laughs> it just uh, made me think. I had an aunt that lived in... Uh, Hamilton, you know, the old hammer uh, by the lake when I was really small and, and everyone was so scared that I would like wander out onto the lake when I was playing in the backyard. So she basically took the story of Pinocchio, but told me that that whale lived in the lake and would eat me if I wandered up onto the bank. So anyway, next thing I know, I'm in the backyard uh, screaming my head off like I'm, like murder is happening because I accidentally wandered on top of the goldfish pond and I thought the whale was going to come and get me from the goldfish pond. So yeah, mm, kids, what impressionable uh, little guys we are. <laughs> All right. Uh, our next storyteller tonight. Oh, what to say. I love this human so much. They are so funny. They're so warm. They're so kind. Uh, they're also a server, which as am I. And this tale, oof, it's going to get you. Uh, please welcome to your screens the one, the only, Nick Babatsikos. Jillian, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, right back at you. I think you're so warm and funny and wonderful as well. So 
Uh, like she said, my name is Nick. And uh, many, many years ago, more than I care to actually admit to, um, when I first moved to Toronto, I worked at the infamous Keg Mansion at the corner of uh, Jarvis and Wellesley. Now, for anybody who is unfamiliar with the Keg Mansion, it's one of the oldest, most historical buildings in Toronto. It was built in the 1800s by um, William McMaster for his nephew and then taken over by the Massey family where Hart Massey lived with his wife, his daughter Lillian, and then a little boy. I'm not sure if it was his son or if it was Lillian's son and Lillian's maid. And then years after that, it was uh, renovated again and it was taken over by uh, another company that opened it up in the 50s or 60s as Julie's Steakhouse. And the upstairs was called the um, Bicycle Club, uh, which I believe was like a men's club. And then in the 70s, it was taken over and turned into the Keg Mansion. So it's gone through a lot of hands and it has a lot of history. Um, it's also been noted as one of the most haunted sites in Toronto. They've had documentary crews come through. We've had psychics come in um, so they can investigate. And they've told us other smaller stories about things that they've seen or things that they've heard about um, in this house. So it's got, a, it's got an intense history there. And um, so when I started there, a youngin who had just moved to Toronto, um, right away in, in, in their hazing, they will, of course, start to include you in their uh, ghost stories and tell you what they've heard, what they've seen, what's been passed around as folklore. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who's obsessed with horror films, especially like demonic possession films, The Exorcist, The Conjuring, The Omen. These are some of my all-time favorite films. I love them. Um, but I have, I have, um, I'm a bit of a skeptic, or I was um, a bit of a skeptic about them actually existing. So people would tell me these stories about things that they'd seen or things that they had heard about. And I would just, laugh them off like one of the bartenders told me as you can as you know with all bars there's like a, a rack overhead where you can hang wine glasses and a wine glass would kind of just slip off and fall to the ground and crash um and the one that really one of the stories anyways it really creeped me out was my friend jolene told me the achieved as is once again for anybody who's been there when you're on the second floor which is where most of the activity happens um there's an oval vestibule that overlooks into the kitchen. And then right behind it are the men's and women's washroom. And in between the washroom, there's a giant mirror. And she said she had come out of the bathroom once and the mirror was like fogged up or looked like it had been fogged up. And there were small children's handprints at the top of the mirror. And that was enough to freak her out. So I would hear all these stories and I, I would kind of like laugh them off, joke them off. It was no big deal, whatever. The one story that I heard that I was like, if I ever see this, I will run out of this building screaming and never return, was told by my friend Joanne, who was a floor supervisor. Now, every night before she left, she would have to walk, or when any manager would close up, they would have to walk through the dining room, just make sure nobody was hiding in any of the crevices, make sure everything was kind of clean and ready to go. And as she was coming around the corner of the dining room, she saw a pair of feet swinging in front of her face. Now, that is because um, there are three main um, apparitions, ghosts, whatever you want to call them, that have been seen repeatedly over the years at the Keg Mansion. The first is Lillian Massey, and her spirit is always seen on the third floor. When you come up to the second floor, there's another set of stairs that goes up to the third floor. And I used to get people all the time telling me there was a woman, a weird woman in a blue dress kind of skulking at the top of the stairs. And uh, I would always, we were always told just to kind of be like, oh, okay, well, we'll go sort it out. We'll look into it. And then, of course, we didn't. The second one was one that was we heard about a lot from kids and from adults. And that was the little boy that lived in the house, we were told, fell down the stairs and died that way. Um, and now kind of his presence was always in the house. So we, I would get people coming up the stairs on a busy Friday, Saturday night saying, that little boy playing on the stairs is going to hurt someone. You should do something about that. And they'd be like, sure, sure thing. <laughs> of course, we did nothing about it. We couldn't. And the third one was the maid of Lillian Massey, who so distraught by her owner's death, hung herself from the oval vestibule. So my friend Joanne had turned the corner and seen a pair of feet swinging in front of her face. I'm like, that is the one thing. If I see it, I will not be able to return from that. So like I said, one of the most haunted <clears throat> and one of the most um, protected uh, heritage buildings in Toronto, just as an example, on the third floor in the change rooms, there was a bathroom with a window and the window had fallen out or had broken. Um, we had to board it up and wait over six weeks for a piece to be shipped in from Belgium because the heritage board would not have it any other way. It had to be the original, like the original craftsmanship or the original company who produced the products in the 1800s had to, or something close to that, had to be shipped in from Europe in order for it to be replaced. And until then, all we could do was put in a pair 
a piece of plywood. Like that's how protected this building is and how much of a heritage project it is in Toronto. So, yeah, so these are, so these are the ghosts that have been seen. Um, like I said, we've had documentary crews, we've had psychics come in and kind of confirm all of this. And my first kind of experience with it was about a year after I started working there, I'd finished on a Friday night or something. Um, I was meeting friends after work and I just went upstairs to get changed and get ready to go. So you go up, you go in the back and you go upstairs and there's a third floor. Um, and once you go in, it's the creepiest area of the restaurant because it's still, like I said, all the old wood paneling and there's a door off to your right um, that kind of just bangs. Like, I, I don't know if it was ever unlocked or locked. I would never touch it or look into it because like I said, I was a skeptic, but still there are some things that just creep you out. So I never go look in it. It was, and apparently it was connected to storage, but it would always just kind of bang against the wall. Um, so I came up one night and that's where the storage room is. The bathroom is on the left side and then straight ahead were the men's and the women's change room. Um, so it was a big kind of cavernous attic. Um, and you have this giant bathroom with the door and the men's and the men's change room. So I walked in and I was going to use the restroom before I got changed and there was water running. So I waited a minute, two minutes, and then afterwards, I'm like, what's happening in there? Um, so I knock on the door. The water's still running. No answer. I knock on the door again. The water's still running. No answer. So I open the door, and there was nobody in there. So I had been up there for about three or four minutes at this point in total, waiting, um, and this water was just running. And I thought, that's really weird. Who would leave in a hurry that they wouldn't turn off the faucet? So I go to turn off the faucet, and I run my hand into the faucet. The water was so hot, you could have boiled tea with it. Like, it had been running for so long, and it was so boiling hot. And I'm like, there's no way somebody who's using this kind of hot water and touching it or cleaning with it. So I always thought that was very, very strange that I came up and this faucet was running. But I kind of, like I said, I was a skeptic. I kind of brushed it off. I said, I'm not going to worry about that. Now I went and partied, had a good time. So cut to about seven months later. Um, and it's now Mother's Day. And we have a woman who has just come back. She used to be a bartender. Uh, right before I started, she left. And she went to a different keg to train as manager and then go through there and, and kind of develop her, her footing before she came back and took over the bar, which was her dream because she loved the restaurant. And it was, it's a great restaurant. And it was a great place to work. Um, so Mel had come back and she was our new manager. And a lot of us hadn't worked with her. We had started after she had left. So it was a crazy Mother's Day. Anybody who's worked Mother's Day in a restaurant knows it's one of the busiest nights of the year. Um, we had had this crazy night and she said, so to say thank you for all your hard work. And in an effort, sorry about that guys. Um, in an effort to uh, uh, get to know you better, I'm gonna buy you guys a glass of wine after work and we can sit down and chat and get to know each other. Fantastic. So we shut down, me and Jen were the servers. There were two others who were bartenders and they were kind of closing up the bar and Mel was in the office. So it was me and my friend Jen and we're sitting at a long booth at six, six people and kind of in front of a window. So it's Mother's Day, it's probably around 11.30, 12 at this point, we've just closed down. We're waiting for the bartenders and Mel to join us. And as Jen and I are sitting at this table chatting, this huge crash of lightning just hits. And immediately, um, it was, I, I can't explain it. I've never felt something actually, like, I could actually feel the thunder in inside my chest. It was like it cracked through me and Jen felt the exact same way. And we both just kind of stopped and looked at each other and there was a pause and she looks at me and she goes, did you feel that too? And I said, I felt something. That was really weird. I felt like a crack of thunder in my chest, he goes, that's exactly what I felt. We asked the bartenders, they were like, no, I didn't feel anything. When Mel came out, she's like, I didn't even hear anything. So we're like, cool, we brush it off. No worries, we sit down with Mel, we have our wine, and we start asking her stories about her time working there and all the craziness that used to go on and the dancing on the bars after work and blah, blah, blah. And of course, right away, I'm in with the ghost stories. And then I had to ask about this one story that kind of went beyond any sort of like mythic folklore it was this one story that was so just like revered in within the halls of the keg mansion that i would ask other people because i had heard about it in my time there i'd been there about a year and a half at this point and i heard about it but it was always met with this kind of like stony frozen face and we don't talk about it and we don't discuss it and, and i'm like so now i need to know more than ever what the hell happened so i turned to mel i said what happened with may what is the story with may her and this other bartender that used to work with her and is one of her best friends. It's sitting across from her right away, their face going, oh. And I'm like, okay, no, I'm, we're done. I want this story. I need to hear this story. So this is the story. About a year before I started there, there was a bartender that worked the service bar downstairs. Her name was May. May was a lovely young woman. She was a student at U of T and she was also very athletic, very lean, very toned, and always on like the track team and stuff like that. 
Um, very sweet girl, very quiet girl, very unassuming, would just come in, work her job and leave. So she wasn't the kind that would always hang out after work and get to know everyone. Everyone liked her, got along with her, but she was very kind of focused in her studies and would just be in and out. Um, so she had um, one of the, the rarest occasions that she had actually stayed behind um, and to hang out after work. She got to know this older gentleman named Troll. Now, I know it sounds mean to call this man Troll, but there was a reason. Troll was disgusting. He was a, a small, old gentleman who would always creep on the girls um, when they served him. They would serve him a drink and he would touch their hands or he would try to put his arm around their waist and he would tell them to stop and he wouldn't. And it was just, I don't understand why, but it was just tolerated over the years. So she got to know Troll and Troll was a part of, for lack of a better phrasing, uh, like a psychic friends collective that would come into the keg, I would say twice a month. They would take over an entire room order cups of coffee and not tip. If you were in that room and you saw them walk in, you just knew your night was over. You hated them. So she was involved. She had kind of started talking to him one night, I guess when all these psychics were there. Um, and she kind of got involved with this collective. And from then on, she started getting strange. They said over the coming months, she started to lose a lot of weight. She started, she became very thin, very lean, very gaunt. And she just became, she was always quiet and kind of withdrawn, but she was always pleasant and friendly, but she kind of stopped talking to people and she became very, very sullen and very withdrawn into herself. Cut to November. This is, like I said, this is the story I'm hearing from Mel. I wasn't there to witness it, but I heard it from Mel. And then I kind of verified it with three other people who were working that night. They all have the exact same account that this is exactly what happened. So this is how I'm delivering it to you. So cut to a November night. And once again, anybody who's been to the keg, from October to May will tell you that, especially on a Friday, Saturday night, once six o'clock hits, it was packed. There was a three hour wait to get into the dining room. People were eating upstairs. We had instances where people were eating on the stairs. They were just so desperate to get a meal and go. So it was crazy, crazy busy. And this girl is downstairs working at the service bar and collapses. So two people pick her up and take her up to the office. The general manager is there. They sit her in the chair. She slowly starts to kind of come about and they tell her, we're gonna take you to a hospital. We have to call your, you know, your, next of kin or whatever it is that's recorded on their on their um, info sheet and let them know we're taking you and then we're going to call uh, uh, a paramedic and get you to the hospital. So they call her aunt who was listed as like her next of kin or her guardian, whatever it is, like your emergency contact and said, this is um, so-and-so from the Cake Mansion, May has passed out. Um, and at this point she's in the chair and she starts to writhe around and moan and groan and they're looking at her and she's like, okay, something's going on with her. We don't know, but we're calling a paramedic and we're going to take her to the hospital. Her aunt on the phone says, no, don't leave her there. And the manager goes, no, no, you don't understand. We cannot leave her here. The restaurant is full of people. We need to get her out of here and we need to get her to a hospital. This could be a serious medical emergency. The aunt says, do not move her. I will take care of everything. Just leave her there. We'll be there as soon as we can. So as they hang up, May has now sunk into some sort of weird, for lack of a better word, possession. Um, and she has started kind of writhing around, moaning around, and she starts screaming like she's being beaten to death and assaulted. Uh, another bartender who was working that night told me that the restaurant, the lounge was full with about 200 people, packed wall to wall. Everyone went dead quiet as this girl was just screaming and shrieking from the office 15 feet away. She urinates in the chair. She's writhing around. They're trying to restrain her to see what's going on. They're waiting for the aunt to come. The aunt finally shows up walks up the stairs into the office. The manager says, thank God, we need to get her out of here now. We can't have her in here screaming and writhing around like this. And the aunt said, no, I'm gonna take care of it here. And then I kid you not, I've heard this from every single person who was there that night. The aunt performed an honest to goodness exorcism in the office on this girl and starts hitting her with chants and like religious like, like passages and starts screaming at her while this girl is screaming and getting more volatile and angrier and writhing around. The, audience, the, the guests in the restaurant have gone dead silent while the bartenders are trying to kind of get them to engage. And this is going on. She's screaming. The manager's like, get her out of here. Get her. This goes on for about, from what I understand, about 15 minutes as it hits a fevered pitch. And then she just collapses and passes out in the chair. The aunt and her friend pick up the woman, take her down the back stairs, out the back door, and they never hear from the girl again. They sent her final paycheck to her last known address. They tried to call her. She didn't call them back. The aunt wouldn't get in touch with them. They don't know what happened to the girl. They don't know what's going on with her now, but they never heard from her again. So this was the folklore that uh, people who were there, I guess, think a secret bond between them. They're always going to understand what it was like to have experienced that. 
So I'm kind of fascinated by this story. Now, one thing I didn't tell you is, we, like I said, we were sitting at a six top, um, and it was me, Mel, and someone else, and then two other girls across from us. And then Jen was standing right here. She wasn't sitting. She was standing right beside me. Now, in the middle of this story, she kind of had her hands beside my arm. And in the middle of the story, she grabs my arm and digs her nails and goes, what was that? I said, what was what? And she goes, I just saw something. I said, what? You saw nothing. I said, when you were telling stories, she's telling this really insane ghost story. Um, and you're getting freaked out. You didn't see anything. We're looking around. We try to figure it out. She goes, I could have sworn I just saw something. I said, Jen, you didn't see anything and you're interrupting the story. Stop. Um, which was kind of dickish. But I was kind of, and I apologize now. But uh, I, back then, I was just really engrossed in the story. So she finishes telling this story and we're telling, we start kind of piling on top of it and commenting on it and we're amazed that this had happened. And uh, we start talking about Troll who had, one time he had come in and he had sat at the table right behind where we were sitting and none of the girls would go to him. So I'm like, fine, I'll go and serve him. So I went and served him and then he started yelling at me about, about getting in between him and the girls that work there and it's not right, like screaming at me. So I served him the drink, I said, that'll be $5. He gives me the five bucks. I said, I'll never serve you again. I said, ladies, I tried. So this was at a table, as you can see, I can gesticulate quite a bit. He was sitting at a table right behind me. Now, in front of that table, there was a like a booth with three computer terminals and then another table and then hours. So there was a booth with three computer terminals. And as I was telling the story about what Troll yelled at me and, and kind of as a funny anecdote, and I'm telling you, I will never, this was coming from a skeptic and I will never forget this. It is burned in my memory, and I will never forget this for as long as I live. I turn around, as you can see, I talk with my hands, to point to the table where he's sitting, and standing, leaning on the bench in front of the three computers was a man dressed all in black. It was a black suit, black shirt, he had black curly hair, and he was kind of leaning on the computers, watching us talk and smiling. And it was the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. And I don't know, because I've never had a conversation with other people who have seen an apparition or something along those lines, but it you see it, but you don't. Like you, you recognize that it's something tangible that you saw, that you know you saw, but it comes to you in a flash and then it goes and it's burned in your memory. So I will forever, forever remember turning around to point to a table and seeing this man dressed all in black, leaning on the computer, watching his talk and smiling. And according to my manager, Mel, I jumped, screamed, and apparently my face turned a shade of white. She had never seen a human face turn before. And I'm a dark Mediterranean guy. Um, so I jumped on screen and they all kind of stopped. And they said, what? I said, I just saw a man dressed all in black, leaning on the computers, watching us talk. And then Jen starts screaming. And she was, that's what I saw. That's what I saw. And I said, what? She was, when he told me to shut up so she could tell the story, I saw a man dressed all in black, watching us talk. And I said, what? So I asked her to describe him. And she described him to a T exactly as I had. Black suit, black shirt, black curly hair, leaning there smiling, watching us talk. We don't know which apparition um, he was because the three main ghosts that were always seen in the mansion were either Lillian Massey, who was hovering at the front, the little boy who fell down the stairs, or the maid who hung herself. So I don't know what this one was, but it was the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. And I said, later I'm out, finish my wine, of course, grabbed my bag and ran out the door. And uh, that was my experience with ghosts at the Keg Mansion. So when it does finally reopen, ask them to take a look at something called the ghost log and, uh, and, and ask questions because I, I, I was a skeptic and I'm not anymore. There's something in that house. There are several things in that house. There are too many to ignore. And I've seen it with my own eyes. Thank you. Well, that's just plain uh, damn terrifying. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, go to the Keg Mansion, know what I'm not ordering, the pea soup. For sure not going to get any of that. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, thank you so much to Nick Babatsikos. Uh, find him on social media. Go eat at the Keg Mansion or don't. Oh, there's so much in there. First of all, uh, so glad you finished your wine. That's that's a real server there. Like, scared shitless, but I am not going to waste my wine. And, uh, oh, that, like, thunder inside your chest. I feel like, I feel like I've felt that before. And 
Pretty sure it's when my uh, partner farts next to me on the couch. It's been a long pandemic. Uh, <laughs> that's her right there, plotting. <laughs> uh, oh, it's that time. It's that time again. Get ready for it. The SNL action. Folks, once again, Nicholas McKinley. Uh, hello, Out of the Dark storytelling crew. This is Nick McKinley here. Uh, just want to say thank you again um, for having me over the course of the last six weeks. It's been so nice to just like tune into this or again watch the archived one and just like engage with everybody's stories and just like it's how, how do you put this? I feel like it's it's been a great reminder that there's a whole world out there um, of experience and feeling um, to get back to. Um, as you know, the pandemic kind of, at least in this part of the world, starts to wind down and, and people get vaccinations and you, you get the sense that things are gonna be moving forward um, after a very long time of not. Um, so I just wanna say um, thanks again. Um, and if you've been enjoying any of the songs I've been playing, you can find them at songsbynicholas.bandcamp.com um, I also, uh, uh, I, I play drums in a bunch of bands and, uh, I, I'm very lucky to work with really talented songwriters. So, uh, I'd recommend checking out Fast Romantics or a band called Max or Crystal Graham are, are three artists I work with that come to mind off the top of my head that if, if you are kind of enjoying what I'm up to, you might in, enjoy those, uh, bands as well. Um, yeah, so this is, um. Uh, a song called Crafts and Art Song. It's about uh, kind of like twiddling your thumbs, trying to figure out the next move, which uh, I don't know. This is a thing I've been feeling a lot lately. So it's uh, it's um, maybe maybe it'll be nice to hear. Okay, I'm just gonna play it. It's funny uh, just talking uh, uh, here. Okay, I'm gonna give it a shot. So. <laughs> Facing time, and now nothing but the hammer in your hand. Now I'm in this city, and I can't stand it. And I've spent a lot of time, spent a lot of time looking for the wires that I've been shown, using paper legs to carry myself I killed myself in Colorado Waiting for the wind to knock me down And I got saved in St. Toronto By finger paints and plastic sounds My mind under streetlights, drinking and drugs, writing unfinished stories about giving up. 2,000 miles left to travel, only one thread left to sew. It's so easy to get unraveled, pulled 
but it's easier to let you go. Well, it's easier to let you go. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. Give it up in the chat for Nick McKinley. Man, those lyrics, uh, I love them so much. Also, Nick, solid points for that long note there at the end. No, but seriously, bud, really, really great. Thank you for sharing your music with us uh, every week. It's been an absolute joy to have you as a steady on the show. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, I guess we're coming around the bend to our last storyteller. Uh our last storyteller is probably one of my favorite people to be on stage with. Uh, we started learning improv together at the Second City. We were on an improv troupe together known as the Pepperoni Pizza Cats. Hung out in Detroit for a great uh, festival there. Uh, Joe Amaro is not only an incredible recording artist, uh, very funny sketch artist, a very talented uh, <laughs> improviser, also writes one-person shows, and seems to be probably one of the best dads out there. Uh, a very caring, awesome human. Uh, please welcome to your screens, Joe Amaro. Yeah, I'll give it up for Jillian, storyteller extraordinaire, Welsh herself. This is awesome. Uh, those stories before were fantastic. And uh, that song by your friend there was also fantastic. This is, um, this is cool to be here. Um, Bad Dog Theater, Jillian Welsh. Storytelling is so important to families and um communities and this is a storytelling show and we're sharing our stories and passing them around and you got your real campfire vibe with your with your sing song and the whole bit and the ghosts are uh when jill asked me to play this show uh to tell share a story on the ghost show uh immediately i was like yeah let's do it the problem was what story do i share because um I have no shortage of ghost stories. Uh, my family, um, we just we just laugh if people tell us they don't believe in ghosts because, like my papa always said, you don't have to believe in ghosts because they believe in you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got I got uh, mad ghost stories. Um. My my family comes down from a line of like uh, a big part of my lineage is a black Irish gypsy, and I can say that because it's it's me. And Papa said, "Be proud." So we came down from the black Irish gypsies, and uh, the legend goes that um, my my Papa's father, my great grandfather, he ripped off a, a gypsy witch. And she cursed my great grandfather uh, so that his house and all of his children's houses and all of their children's and all of their children's children's houses would be haunted then, now, and forever. And I'm here to tell you, they have been. So we've seen ghosts growing up. Uh, you know, almost on the daily sometimes. Every place we ever lived in was haunted. Every family gathering was filled with new new ghost stories from 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 all the family members getting together and, and, and sharing new, you know, new developments. I've seen every kind of ghost. I've seen I've seen demons and angels and you know, I've seen the little shadows, sneaky little shadow guys and, and I I seen the, the guy peeking in the in the crack of the door and then disappearing a little little shy door crack guy he dis he dips out and i seen uh you know everything i seen people dancing on all dressed up fancy uh to music i couldn't hear um we heard the footsteps we heard we had the door knockers we had the little nicky nicky nine door 
ghosts, every every kind of thing you can imagine. We heard babies crying in every place we ever lived. And my family is enriched with um, psychics and seers and witches and 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 um, all all these type of people that would pass down the protection and um, um, you know the uh, the intention spells and the protections and 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 how to cleanse and how to smudge and all these things and it's just been part of my life. We used to pretend we were Ghostbusters. And the pretend part was that we were Ghostbusters because the ghosts were real. So me and my brother, Harold, we, we would just see ghosts all the time. They would talk to us. We'd see them. Did you see that? You know, it was like, I remember laying in our bunk beds and we'd just be like, do you, do you believe Aunt Mary? Do you believe that the tall man was looking in the top window of her bedroom when she was a kid? And, and he'd be like, well, it has to be true because Uncle Larry told us the same story last summer. Or like, you know, did you see that wheel, that, that, the, the rocking chair moving, rocking on its own? Yeah, I did. It looked like it was rocking like backwards, you know, and there was no windows open and just things, you know, it was just, it was nothing to us. It was just second nature. <laughs> and um, we, we grew up and left home and in every apartment we lived in our together, we, we lived together a lot. And every apartment we lived together, there was haunted. I remember, I remember a ghost. I remember hearing my brother freaking out in the middle of the night. I jump out of bed and run to his room. And uh, when I get in there, he's white as a ghost and he's got a red mark on his face. And he said a ghost slapped him in the face when he was dead asleep and he opened his eyes. And when he did, he felt wind on his forehead and a fart noise. And we just laughed at the ghost farted in his face. We went back to bed. It was like, you know, no big deal. Every place we ever lived in was haunted, including the place I'm in right now that we did major cleansing in. Um, but the particular story I want to tell you about is one day when we were all grown up and we, this was all old hat and we decided we were bored enough in the city. We'd go see mom. She lived up in the country near, uh, near Owen Sound. She moved up north and uh, her and my, my little sister lived up there. My brother just got his license. So we got his, got in his car and we drove up to my mom's. And um, my mom had a migraine headache as she often does and went to bed early my sister was young so she was in bed so it was just me and my brother no cable tv middle of the country all that's there is the dvds that you left there in the first place when you moved out so we're getting all we're getting all uh as excited as we possibly could to uh begin to enjoy the uh the buddy cop uh sensation of the summer of 1998 which is jackie chan and chris tucker's blockbuster smash rush hour and we realized we don't have any snacks. No problem. We just run to the store. Except my mom lives in nowhere. Like there's no store. There's a gas station, but it's closed. And so we got to drive up to this little town called Williamsford. And, uh, you know, it's just like a nowhere town, just like one highway over. So we go to Hopkins car and um, zip up there and go to the only store in the world that's open to get some snacks to watch this fantastic piece of cinema. So, and it's, we'd made the trip a million times. It was easy as pie. Just drive down my mom's road, hang a right, take the first left, and it goes straight out to the highway into the store. So we jump in, and we drive to the end of my mom's road. We catch this side road at the first right, and we hang the right. And we're looking for that first quick left to get up to the store, and it's nowhere to be found. And we're both like, well, I'm sure, like, you know, just go up a little bit more. It's right here. It's somewhere. We can't. You know, they didn't move the road. <clears throat> we keep driving and driving and driving. We can't find it. And we're, but we didn't pass it. So we're arguing a bit. Like, we didn't, you know, about it. And then I said, just just go back. Just go back. We, we had to have missed it. So he turns around this little narrow dirt road and goes to go back. We turn the other way. And right away, there's a road on the right. But it's not the road we were looking for that was supposed to be on our left, like a mile back. But we're looking at it and we figure, well, it's going up that way to the highway. So it's going to bring us to the store. So let's go. So we get on the road. And this is where it gets funky. So, and, and I don't care if you, if you believe me because <laughs> it's, it's a ghost story. We're driving down the road. And then I look at all of a sudden, like as soon as we turn on the road, I look in my side rearview mirror and I see headlights, like bright headlights, like high beams. And I look over at my brother and he's 
seeing the same thing. He's like blinded from the rearview mirror of it and flicking the little switch so to turn the blinder off to guard from the shine. And um, I'm like, what the hell? And, it's, and then I look back and it's even closer and brighter. And I'm like, what? And I look back at him like, what's this jackass doing? And we're not thinking ghosts. We're just thinking like, oh, well, you know, we're in the, we're up in the country. It's just these, you know, like hick uh, locals. And, uh, you know, we'll just let them pass or whatever. And I look back in my mirror and it's even closer and even brighter. And I look back at my brother and he's like blinded even with the rearview mirror flipped up. And it's, it's like lighting up the car. So I lean over to look back behind me. Nothing. No lights behind us. I look back in the mirror, closer and brighter, like shining, like right in the mirror. I look at my brother. I'm like, look behind you. And he turns to look himself. Nothing. He sees it. Now we're looking at the mirrors. We're going between the mirrors and being blinded by the light of this car that's like gaining on us, like really close to us. I know the objects in the mirror are closer than they appear, but this was getting really close. And behind us is nothing but black country road you know nothing so we're kind of freaked out like now we're freaked out i'm like just turn around just pull over and we got to just turn around he's like where where do i turn around like we're on this narrow narrow ass road there's nowhere to turn around and right at that moment there's a driveway so i'm like right there hit that driveway we pull in he's on the left he pulls in the left and this is strange like gate we never see him never seen this house and i've been down all around these roads forever when my mom lived i would run we run these roads all the time and there's these two big brick pillars and this strange old metal gate and you can't even see the house is unlit. There's no one in the house. It's like an old dark house. So we're in there and then, but there's, and we look back and there's nothing. Now there's nothing in our mirrors is facing the road and there's nothing when we look out. So I'm like, okay, just turn around. Let's just get out of here. Like I'm, I'm freaked out. He's freaked out. He grabs the stick shift to throw it in reverse and he just puts it on the R and boom, the, the whole car lights up with a flood of light like just flooded and then we turn around and it's it, and now we can just see lights and it's like he's parked like on our trunk of our car but when i look in the mirror i can't see anything i don't see anything it's just black black but light shining in and lighting up the whole car so my brother never wanted to you know, uh, avoid a conflict, throws it in park and jumps immediately out of the car. And I'm like, Oh my, you know, like, don't leave me here alone. So I jump out with him, and there's nothing there. There's no lights. There's no car parked there. Nothing. We get back in the car. Nothing reverse out of the driveway, drive up the road. Now I look in the mirror, nothing, nothing. You look at my brother, nothing. I look behind me, there's two headlights sitting right where we pulled out of the driveway, shining right up the road towards us. Look at the mirror, nothing. Look back, they're sitting there, but they're not moving. We're freaked. And we're, we're just quiet. We're just driving now. We're just processing it, I guess. And I'm looking out my window, and there's, there's the little dirt road, and then a ditch, and then a short field, and then it, uh, the forest. And I look out to the forest and I see like these lights moving and I'm looking like focusing and they're, it looks like people like flying through the forest and they're looking at me and they're, they're not giving off a glow, but it was like they were lit from within. So the light that was shining made the image visible, if that makes sense. And they're, and I can see there's a bunch of them. They're looking at me and I'm like, what the hell am I looking at? And then as I like back up to look, the field now that I that you have to cross to get to that forest is filled with these things just flying along the side of the car, all lit up like from within in glowing, but not like shining, but like glow like glowing from in and all looking at us. And I, I look over to towards my brother to see if he's seeing it. And as I get to the road, there's a whole person just flying ahead of the car and i can see fabric just flowing like right at us and it's just flying in front of the car and i look at my brother to see if he's seeing the same thing his jaw is like on the floor he's just like just as stunned as me and then I, and then i see right beside him at his window there is a 
a ghost of a spirit, a person, a demon, whatever you want to call it, there is a, a being holding on to the side of the car. And I can see it like peeking out, like just like from the other side of where my brother's face is looking at, out his front windshield, like just like peeking, like, you know, whole, and I, I'm like, how, how, how? He looks over and again, without any hesitation, guy was a loose cannon. He just hits the power window. And as soon as it starts going down, he starts breathing in like really deep. And I think he's like trying to like ghost bust this thing. Like he's trying to suck in this ghost, but he, he just keeps putting the window down. And as he, he breathed in the whole time, the window went down and then he just, blew out at the ghost and it its grip loosened and it was looking and it lost its grip and was gone and i look back and the ones in front of us moved off the road i look at the down the ditch and through the small field and they all start to move back to the forest and then into the forest now they're all in the forest and they're looking at us and then they're not looking at us and then the lights are out and they're gone and it's just the dark country road my brother's headlights his window wide open like a maniac and the gravel just spinning and spinning and spinning under the tires we get to the end of the road we hang a right my mom's road is right there we hang a left we walk inside my mom's house we didn't even really say too much we'd seen ghosts our whole lives but this was the most ghosts anybody's seen in their whole lives we just went to bed we got up in the morning everyone's all you know uh unaware and morning person about the whole situation my mom my sister and hey we're gonna need some groceries can you guys run up to williamsford and, and grab them and we share a look and and what you know you're safe <laughs> the safety of the sun i guess and we jump just jump in his car and go back and that's first we talked about it we went back the end of my mom's road, hung the right. Sure enough, there's the left. Hung the left straight to Williamsburg, went to the store, all the goodies. Back home, no problem. Where the hell did this ghost road come from? Who knows? Bring mom all their stuff, have a day. Nighttime comes, we were loaded up on snacks. And, you know, I've seen ghosts since then. And, uh, you know, like the house I'm in right now, I had to have a major cleansing. And, um, you know, I'm sure I'll see, I'll see them again. But um, ever since that night, I, I've asked myself, you know, a million times, like, whatever happened to Chris Tucker? <laughs> That's amazing last night. Uh, whatever happened to Chris Tucker? Uh, Joe, wow. That was a fucking incredible story. Um, I have chills. It's also just so beautiful. And thank you for sharing that with us. Just wow. I'm like, I'm like speechless. You, you really painted such an incredible uh, picture there. Woo. Um, yeah. And uh, listen, if you want more of Joe's incredible work and also just incredible person. Uh, Joe is running a thing called Drugs, uh, the musical, which is also a telethon. It's um, prevents harm awareness. It's an incredible cause. It's running on August 31st. It's going to be 24 hours worth of performance, but those donation lines are open right now. So uh, it'll be popped up in the chat there. Please give whatever you possibly can. It's an amazing cause and harm reduction is something that we can all do right now to make a real change in the community that we live in. I mean, as Joe said, uh, community, would, storytelling wouldn't exist without community. And I certainly felt so much love from the community that I'm in through this pandemic. For example, uh, this community that we're on right now, Bad Dog Theater, I, yeah, I, I needed to do something creative. And I talked to the artistic director, Coco, and uh, she was so encouraging. And that's how this this show came to be from a, a sense of community. So yeah, if you also are in a giving mood, please hit up Drugs, the musical Telethon, and also maybe send some money to Bad Dog Theater Company. Uh, we survive on from your donations alone. And if you send three bucks, you get a taxable 
uh, a tax, a tax deduction, a tax, a tax, you know, every week I think I'm going to get this right. And every week we get here and I don't, and it's the last week. So, uh, yeah, the thing that says that you paid this money for your taxes, you can write it off. Uh, so for sure, please consider, uh, sending a bit of funds our way. Um, yeah. Thank you so much to all of our storytellers tonight. Thank you. Thank you, I guess, to our ancestors who walked to this earth long before us, and some of them are still around us, and it's with their breath that we tell these stories, so uh, mind your tongues, I guess. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great night. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar! Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.